0: Uh, today, we're going to talk about the central message of Scripture. Um, last week, yeah, you guys, you were all in here,
1: yeah,
0: and we talked about uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, and um, we discussed a lot of things. But one of the things, if you remember, at the end, or actually at the beginning too, that question of uh, if this is really a Perfect book, and we believe this book is inspired by God, written by God's author. If that's really the case, then how does it how does it inform or your perspective of life? How how would that? What did I say? How does it change or inform your perspective on life? If that's truly the Word of God, how does it change or inform? Your perspective on everything you do, how you live, what you believe in. How does it change you?
1: It's so hard because we are humans. (laughs) For one moment, we realize that and then next moment, it's changed. Forget about it. Forget about it.
0: So life is doing this, ups and downs. All these things. So how does the Bible inform or change that perspective?
1: Well, you you view your life as eternal. Um, You know, it certainly changes the way you live. I mean, honestly, if I didn't believe in God, there's no telling, you know. I may have killed some people. Yeah. (laughs) But now, I mean, you know, it's the... There, there is no telling what direction my life would have taken. You're right.
0: There, there's a, a constraint on your sinfulness based on what you've read in the Bible, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and all that comes from the Bible. You have a longer view of reality. I won't say life, but reality. There is glory. There is heaven that you are already secured in. So your perspective on life is a completely different trajectory than those who don't. If you believed, none of that's real. I don't believe in God. I am living today for today. And that's all that matters. You probably have a really good time, but you're completely hollow and empty on the inside. There's no longer picture. You're just living for the moment. Is that a good way to live? Probably for this life or for now. Yeah. And many, many, many people live that way and think that way because there's nothing else. They have an existential view of reality and there's nothing else but now. I feel really sad for them. Um, I hope I'm not wrong, that there is life after all of this. There is eternity. But if all I'm hoping in is just, I hope I'm right, I feel sad for me. So, again, I go back to if it was just some dude who wrote this or, you know, several people that wrote this and it was just a great idea and a great story, wow, that's pitiful. Because I'm just believing some guy who's thought that's the way to live. That's sad. That's sad. So today's message or thought is based, kind of based on that. And we're skipping over a couple because I'm not supposed to teach for a couple weeks. There were a couple others, Sheldon was gonna teach and somebody else before I got to this. But I really like this idea. So based on all that, the next question is related to that, is if this is a life-changing book story, what's the central message? What's, what's it about? What, what is it? What is the message? There's lot of them, right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of those. What What's the message of redemption? The Bible. That's it. Yeah. Redemption. Okay. What else?
1: Complete redemption.
0: Complete redemption. Huh? I mean, <laughs> we didn't say partial redemption anyway. It's <laughs> like say somebody
2: saying, "I fully agree with you." Which part?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let me kind of tied in with redemption. You, you have to understand total, you know, depravity, total depravity. Yes. You have to understand holiness. I mean, there's a lot of things that just yeah. are, are wrapped around understanding redemption. So, if, if you've got redemption, what fall first?
0: Huh? The fall. The you know, fall. You know, so, so you got all these things that come out of this, right? The fall. What did you say? I don't even remember. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, depravity. Depravity. <laughs> which comes from the fall. Yeah. You know, you start thinking all these pieces of redemption, right? Well, what else? What What is that book? What's the purpose of it? Is it just that? Is it just redemption?
1: No. Oh, True question. God. 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 Yeah, we talked about Revelation. It's about God, right? Okay.
0: Okay, redemption. There's actually four things that we're going to focus on, but I'm curious what you guys, as long as you've been reading the Bible, what are other things that you read it for purpose-wise?
1: What do you get out of reading the Bible? Well, it is also a guide for how to live your life. Yeah, and we talked about that last week, right? There were two
0: words that came out of life, which is one. What was the other word?
1: Fellowship.
0: Death. <laughs> okay, that's true. <laughs> no, but the reason that uh, the, the inerrancy of Scripture and all of it is good for a couple of things, lots of things, but generally they can all be distilled into faith and life. What does it mean to have faith? What is your faith in? How do I live? And all of this is basically these four categories. One, who is the author? Who is God? What what is this person? Who is this person that wrote this book, that inspired this book? And if that's the case, then what is the, the story of the book? The story is redemption. And if it's redemption, then what is, how does that work? And then that becomes faith, the object of your faith. So what we'll say, I don't know why I write all this stuff down. It helps me think. The object of your faith is the Sunday school answer, Christ, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that is the object of your faith. And in life, and we'll talk about that. But if you think about this, the simple answer, what is the central message of scripture? It's a psychical answer. It's Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ is the object of our faith, the story, and the plan of redemption, and he is God. Not only that, he shows us how to live. So everything circles, centers, centralizes itself on Jesus Christ. Pretty simple. Well, how do we how do we form that? How do we think about that? How do we how do we actually use that in a, in a daily uh, sort of mythology, methodology methodology of, of life? The um, the thing I passed out last week did I give it to you guys? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, i still here in the uh, second sixth the sixth paragraph of. The one Baptist. So I think that's on the back page, the first page. The uh, paragraph one of the chapter one, sixth paragraph. It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life. You see that? Is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scriptures. So the Bible, what's in there, again, this isn't the Bible, it's it's the One of Baptist Confession, that all things necessary for His own glory, God, so there's the first piece, man's salvation, that's redemption, right? Faith, here it is, logic of our faith, and life. Those are the four central. <coughs> Messages of Scripture, and that's how you can start to divide all the things that we talk about. Um, you ever heard of? Uh, there's a book called "The Unfolding Mystery of Christ in the Old Testament." A guy named Edmund Clowney wrote this book. Um, he actually died in 2005, or in 1915, or something like that. J.I. Packer, you ever heard of him?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Knowledge of the Holy, I think is what he's probably most famous for. Is that right?
1: Knowing God.
0: Knowing God. That's it. Knowing God. Yeah. Um, he wrote a foreword to this book and I thought this was, this guy said it better than I could ever say. Why do we bind up this collection between the same two covers, call it the Holy Bible, and treat it as one book? One justification for doing this, one of many, is that the whole, the collection as a whole, once we start to explore it, proves to have an organic coherence that's simply stunning. Books written centuries apart seem to have been designed for the express purpose of supplementing and illuminating each other. There is one, there is throughout one leading character, God the Creator, one historical perspective, world redemption. One focal figure, Jesus of Nazareth, who is both Son of God and Savior. And one solid body of harmonious harmonious teaching about God and godliness, life. So when you start looking at all these different authors, they're all saying the same thing. These four categories are the central message of Scripture. Did anybody grow up in a Baptist church? I remember an acronym for the Bible. Let me see if you remember this. You know, B I B L E. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. (laughs) Okay. I I, probably to some degree, but is that the extent of the Bible? Is is it an instruction manual? (laughs) To some degree, sure. But it seems to be a lot more than that when you start looking at these four characters. Uh, It doesn't have your birthday in it, like we talked about last week. It doesn't have the theory of relativity. It doesn't have a lot of things in the Bible. It's good for faith in life, but it doesn't have everything. And it doesn't have the actual description of uh, how a rocket is made or anything like that. There's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible. Having said that, we know there are certain things that are in there. Um, so let's talk about the first one, who is the author in God and the Trinity. Because what was it? The Athanasian Creed, which was written in like 300-something, goes through who the Holy Spirit, who God is, who Jesus is, and describes the Trinity. This is based on, obviously, the Bible, which I hope it was. Um, Hebrews 1, 1 through 1-3 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's a pretty deep statement. To uphold the universe by the word of his power. When Tracy and I went to Virginia a couple of weeks ago, and we saw the Milky Way by just going outside and seeing it, and you realize how small and insignificant you are. And we looked through a telescope and we saw the four moons of Jupiter. We saw the rings of Saturn. We saw some nebula way out in the way north. You realize how infinitesimal you are, and and you start to s- grasp to the smallest that our minds can, the, the, the universe, and how big and how vast it is, it's, it's incredible. And it says he upholds the universe by the word, um, the word of his power. That's really hard to comprehend sometimes when I start thinking about it. And that person wrote this book. It just seems like, how do you go from that large, vast, thinking and power, and structure, to worrying about me, and worrying about my life, and whether or not I'm saved. That's such a vast difference that it's hard for me to really comprehend how the God of the universe can care about me, and provide this story of a plan of redemption, an object of my faith, and how to live. I think that's Staggering to try to comprehend. Hello, Dad. Hi, Dave. Um, I want to go back to the London Baptist yeah. Confession, In Chapter Two, and I'll read this because this one takes a little bit for me to understand. I'm gonna sit down. Here we copy mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. This was last week's. But it had the whole first chapter of the London Baptist Confession and then uh, some evidence of Scripture and how many times it's been copied and written down and how we can believe it. The second chapter, which isn't on your notes, for the London Baptist Confession, uh, which is about God and the Trinity, it says, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. Is that hard to understand? Do you all? Yeah, yeah a little bit. That's why it took them 300 years to write it down <laughs> when you look at the Athanasian Creed.
1: I don't think a man can make that up.
0: I don't think so either. I mean, they've tried... <laughs> how many different ways to describe the, the Trinity? Well, an egg... Uh, water can be three things at one time the triple point you can think about all these things but none of it quite captures uh, what God is and who God is but the Bible the four things about this that's where all this stuff comes from it has to come from the word or we're making it up Um, it says beyond that yet the essence undivided we say something The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. All right, so I'm trying to understand that. How can something that has never been born be begotten and not be finite? That doesn't, I I can't comprehend that. So I'm just going to have to take it for its its surface value, all infinite without beginning, therefore, but one God who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all our communion with God and comfortable dependence upon him. I love how these guys wrote 300, 400 years ago, because it doesn't make any sense try to comprehend what is the job what who is the author of the Bible in the three entities of that the personhood of that that divine person God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit that's in the Bible so one of the purposes getting back to the sinful message is there's no way we can describe it today Is understanding who God is, and it's in the Bible from the very beginning all the way through to the end. Uh, I could give you a whole bunch of different scriptures that go with that statement from the London Baptist Confession, but you guys go look it up. Chapter 2, the first paragraph. Typically on anything that you find, there's a dozen different scriptures that talk about what I just said. Um, So that's number one, who God is to redemption, plan of redemption. As you were saying, of fall, depravity, salvation, glory. And you start looking at all those pieces. Um, from a Bible reference standpoint, somebody look up John 5, 46. And then somebody else grab Luke 24. I'm not going to read all of it, so... John 5, what did I say? 46? And uh, Luke 24. And it's 13 through 27, but it's really not that much. Who's got John 5? I got 46. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. So here Jesus Christ is referring to the scriptures, to Moses, saying he wrote about me. And if you believe him, you'll believe me, is really what he's saying. So he's tying these two things together and he's starting to talk about the object of faith, but it's the story of the plan of redemption. Luke twenty four thirteen, really the start of it. Uh, that, through 27?
2: Uh, it's not quite through there. I think it's just the first, I think it's through 17. I think okay. I wrote down well. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Okay, that was not it. <laughs> this 24. part where he
0: says, Jesus says, How foolish are you? Uh, this, are you? It says uh, 24, 13 through 17. 27. I, was, I wrote it down long, but. Okay. I'll just s- say it because I couldn't remember exactly where it was. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken did not the messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself maybe that was the end of that paragraph what would it have been like to be walking around with jesus not really comprehending who he was and then he describes from the beginning of everything that you know, from, as a Jewish person, he just points out through the scriptures that you've studied, that your ancestors have studied, that this is the person they've talked about. What would that be like? How cool would that have been to be able to hear it from the author's mouth? Uh, I do have one thing I'll hand around. Anybody ever seen this? Look at. You might know what that is. There's a guy named Chris Harrison who worked with a pastor. I think it was even the Methodist church, and um, this is. The graphic representation of 63,779 references, cross-references, in the Bible. So when you look at that picture, at the bottom you see alternating gray and dark gray. Each one of those represents the books of the Bible. The white one is Matthew, the start of the New Testament. The longer the line, the longer the chapter. So the longest line in there? is the longest chapter in the Bible, which is?
1: 119.
0: 119. Psalms 119. So that kind of shows you the how that works across the bottom. The longer the arch, the longer the distance between the, the two. So Genesis 3.15, Revelation 22, the story of <coughs> redemption. So each one of those arcs, Represent a cross reference throughout scripture. So you start looking at the book, the scripture, the central message, the cross referencing going on in there is ridiculous. How do you have 66 books written by how many people? 40 different authors over 3,000 years, and there's one story. How does that happen? It could only happen by the author who is above and supersedes all of the human hands that actually wrote the book down. There's only one way that can happen, going back to J.I. Packard's uh, introduction to the Clown's book. How amazing that is to think about this book, how different this book is from every other book ever written, that it can have that type of cohesion and a central message is, is pretty amazing. Um, the third, faith our object the Sunday school answer book is by Jesus of course it is so what does that really mean Um, now we get to look more specifically at who Jesus is and what why is he the author or the object of our faith Um, John 1 1 through 4
2: In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So what does that tell you about who Jesus is?
1: God. He is
0: God. He was God. He was with God. Um, The Word was with God. The Word was God in the beginning was the word he existed in the beginning he was with god he is god in the beginning he was with god all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made okay i think that covers it all what else could be made that he didn't make in him was life and the life was the light of men. So you start talking about and you know, starting to hint towards this last piece, which is how do we live? What is, again, the purpose of the Bible? If this is the author, if this is the object of our faith, then we should be able to trust him. Again, if we go back to that first question, if this is truly the work of God, how does it influence? How does it change your perspective on life? if it's Jesus Christ, the object of your faith, which is written about in there, now we start to see how everything works together and the trust that we have in what we believe has, has a foundation to it. Um, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I'll read this one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We talk about heavy theology, and then at the same time extremely simple. He created everything. He was before everything. Everything was made for him, by him, through him. All of that states his preeminence. It states the authority he has. So when you start to trust this book, who wrote it, what's the object of it, and you read stuff like that, you go, okay, this is extremely powerful. The very last sentence there, um, the end of that last sentence, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the story and the plan of redemption by the blood of his cross. Now, we could go through what all of that means. We'd have to take a few more crosses or classes to to get there. But understanding that whole plan of redemption and what does that mean? How does that come together? One of the things that we have to look at is, um, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Covenant theology. Does that sound scary? Sound like we can cover that in 10 minutes? No. (laughs) Probably not. Um, I'm trying to remember if I even wrote this stuff down. More thinking about it than anything else.
2: Um, What is covenant theology? Uh, I think... uh, it's God. It's the idea that God, throughout history, reveals Himself to man through covenants or agreements. True. I'm going to simplify it. Um,
0: covenant theology is based on two things: works and grace. The covenant of works. The covenant of grace, sin, redemption, depravity, salvation. It's always, always these two things. Adam, Jesus. You look at the Bible and you could distill all this into two things. God created a covenant. They before the eternal covenant, before time was invented, the three determined this is how we will save man. This covenant. They made the covenant of works. What do you think the covenant of works is? Uh, if you do these things you will live. Right. Do this, you live. Ten commandments. Um, hey Adam, don't eat it, don't eat of the tree of fruit good and evil. good and evil knowledge. Which one is knowledge? Of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil. Don't do this, you'll live. What's he do? Just like you and me, he eats of the. Tree. It was a good looking apple. Yeah. Uh, he broke the covenant. So he broke the covenant. Covenant of works. You live. You keep that. You're good. What's the story and everything we know about our own lives and the story in the Bible? Nobody can keep it. It is impossible to keep it. Why? Because you're not good enough? Okay. Why can you not keep the covenant of works?
2: because you're not inherently good because that guy had it
0: he had the choice he could have done it and he didn't do it because he didn't do it all of us from the before we were born were doomed that's a since this isn't recorded it is that's a bad message i was going to say a different word That's a really depressing message. We cannot make it. We are born doomed because of that guy. What's the covenant of grace? You're doomed to death because you can't do this. Guess what? There's a way out. There is a plan of salvation. There is redemption. There is an object of your faith. And that second Adam, Back to the Sunday school answer, Jesus, covenant of grace. Every one of the covenants points towards that. You have uh, the, the covenant of Moses or Noah. Let's say the Noah covenant. What was that? I'm going to destroy the earth because everybody's bad, but I'll never do it again. There's always a promise. So there's, there's a promise that uh, was written in the Old Testament promise it was revealed in the New Testament and you start looking at all this and through the the hourglass of the Bible if there is one here's the Old Testament here's the New Testament all of that hinges on Jesus and the act of, and when he came into the earth his life his death his burial his resurrection his ascension that work right there is the story of the Bible. That's the covenant of grace. So when you break down all this stuff, those are basically the two things. Have you ever heard of the Proto Evangelion, the first gospel, Proto first evangel, basically preaching of the gospel? The Proto Evangelion is Genesis three fifteen. If you look up Genesis three fifteen, somebody will do that real quick. Did I offend you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Proto Evangelion, I'm out. (laughs) Uh, 315? Yeah. Um, You ever want to read it? Yeah. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That, believe it or
0: not, as hard as that may be to understand, it's the first time the Gospels preached. Because who are they talking about? Jesus. They're talking about Jesus. It's the coming. It's the promise of a Savior. It's a promise of redemption. So all the way back then, and you take it all the way. Oh, I didn't write it down. But it's in, it's in uh, Revelation 22. It talks about, I am the Alpha and the Omega. It's the end of the Bible. And it talks about the story of everything that this whole book You take those two points, Genesis 3.15 and Revelation 22, and you put them together. And if Adam would have never sinned, then that would have been a really short book because that would just be it. It would go from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22. Everything in between was, yeah, that guy. Down there in the story of our redemption. So we wouldn't need any of this if he didn't sin. But because he sinned, we can't do anything but sin. So the story of redemption is is about that. Um, Okay, here's a Sunday school question: How can faith that make us righteous before
2: God apart from your own works? Uh, Because the the faith is uh, is. Gifted to us rather than earned it's, and it's all based in what the person and work of Jesus Christ 100% That's covenant theology's answer to the Bible
0: Jesus performed the works. We owe To God <laughs> under the covenant of works because we have to do it. We have to do the covenant of works So he did it for us which we receive by faith alone under the covenant of grace so Works and grace, those two things basically frame the whole book of the Bible. This is what you got to do. This is what you didn't do. This is what I'm doing for you
2: because you couldn't do it. It's really interesting just to to stare at the board and think about, um, you know, the grace aspect and how it's not of us. And the complaint for people, because we tend to always think of sin in terms of, like, the actions we do, which is a part of it, too. But it's also, like a state of being that we're in and the complaint for humanity could be that, well, we didn't do what Adam did. Yes, we, we come from him, but we didn't sin that way. But, you know, when you think of federal headship, you know, he represented us all and therefore caused us all to fall into sin. But so we didn't do anything as his ancestors per se. If you go through it logically to, uh, to, uh, get that sin status but we do actively sin and we are sinners but the wonderful thing is that we can't do anything of our own merit to attain salvation or you know god's grace but jesus has done it all for us why is that so hard for the typical human being to take i think in our sin and our pride we want to we want to participate or have some role in Achieving that,
1: and yeah, and also people look at it as when you, when you talk about because of Adam's sin, we're born an enemy of God. Yeah, and people look at that and go, hey "Man, that's not fair. I didn't ask to be born
0: yeah, it's not this fair. way."
1: <laughs> and, you know the line out of uh, <laughs> Bob O'Reilly in <laughs> the hood. I don't need to be forgiven. So just as we're not <laughs> responsible for our own grace, and in a way we're not even responsible for our own sinfulness. If
0: you, if so let, why am I taking... <laughs> <if> you, <laughs> why, why, am I, <laughs> why am I
2: Why am I having a problem with this? Well, logically, in our minds, we're not responsible for the, the state of our sinfulness, but we are responsible because... Absolutely. ...we are born in this world speaking lies. We're sinners. We Over have here. both that state. And we... From the time we come out of the womb, we're participating in it. We don't know that because you know babies are adorable, but they're they're they come of the But out they're as simple as you know? are. Yeah. <laughs>
0: this is all pointing to the last piece, which is like we talked about God, the Trinity, who God is, the author of this book, the plan of redemption, and you know, we take it from a reformed perspective and look at it from a covenant theology, from a historical redemptive perspective, that picture. This arc of everything working together all for one purpose, which is the plan of redemption. The object of it is Jesus Christ, who is also God. You start following all this stuff, and you go, well, well, how do I live? And I also think of another song by uh, Audio Slate. Oh, yeah. Uh, me yeah. yeah. Yeah, you think about all this stuff. Um, before we go there, I'm going to read Michael Horton, the guy from... Uh, Westminster, he wrote a book. you guys ever read Christless Christianity? I've heard of it. I haven't read it. The very beginning of it, um, I think it's in the introduction. Uh, it says, what would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? And this was a Presbyterian preacher, I think, in the 50s. And this was his, his message to a city. Over half a century ago, Presbyterian minister, Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered his own scenario in a weekly sermon that was also broadcast nationwide on CBS radio. Barnhouse speculated if Satan took over Philly, they'd have a better baseball team. <laughs> uh, if Satan took over Philadelphia, all of the bars would be closed. Pornography would be banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes sir, and no ma'am. And the churches would be filled every Sunday where Christ is not preached. So, when we talk about life, just before we talk about the basic instructions before leaving Earth, if that were all this book were about, we don't need Christ. You follow me? And to me, that's just a beautiful picture of if mor- morality, or in his book, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. If all this is about, you know, living good life and following Joel Osteen on television, we're fools. We are absolute fools. if That's what the purpose of this is. So you want to know how to live life? All right. Somebody pull up Colossians 3. It's the first 15 verses. So this is just us kids. Colossians 3, 1 through 15.
2: Uh, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay, wait for a second. That just told me how to live.
0: Right? Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above instead of the things that are on earth.
2: Yeah, that's easy. Let's not overcomplicate this, right? (laughs) Okay. Then he gets into a little bit more detail. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away again. Excuse me. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay. So right there,
0: he said, okay, quit doing this stuff don't do this. Don't lie to each other. If you're sexually immoral, stop. You know, if you're, if you're an idolater, stop. These are not hard things to comprehend. Now, we cannot not do those things because we're still human beings. We're still corrupt under Adam. We're still sinners. So if all you did is say, okay, if I just do this, if I stop my sexual immorality and I stop my impurity and my passion and my evil desire, blah, 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 then am I going to heaven? No, because you didn't, you cannot stop in your mind. You may have stopped doing uh, covetousness. You didn't go take anybody's stuff, but covetousness is internal. You're still coveting, you know, something.
2: So now you can keep going. <laughs> So you also must forgive and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. That's I mean,
0: I hate to oversimplify stuff, but above all, put on love and be thankful. You've got all these instructions. These are imperatives that are in the Bible. We know how to live. So, when you're questioning whether you're living right, this is a great chapter basically to read over and over. Okay, am I I being coveted? Yeah. Am I sexually immoral in my thoughts? Yeah. Put those away. Ask for forgiveness. Christ is, God will forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you all on your righteousness. These are the things about how to live. it's not everything that the book is about, but it's certainly, certainly important. We have to put it all in perspective, because if we do it, and that's the only reason for doing it, we're, it's a Christless
2: Christianity. You yeah, have to remember that. It, it, it's easy like to think... There's like a balance to the, a Christian life where it can be... If you're not careful, you can be so enamored with the idea of grace that you um, and your sins being covered that you uh, begin to excuse the misdeeds in your life. Yeah. Or your, even if it's not deeds, your mm-hmm. sinful thoughts, and mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, uh, and you could swing too hard the other way and be so obsessed with the living that you... Don't pay attention to the grace like you should, do I and live become in, the Pharisee. Do I live in sin so grace can abound? Yeah, but of course the, not. But the person who's saved, you know, uh, ideally that's mature in Christ, is going to sin, and they're going to, but they're going to strive towards a holy life because not because of any desire to gain additional favors with God, because you know we're saved. Um, but um, but because the, the Holy Spirit indwelling you and working in your life causes you to want to right. live. He for chose Christ. you. Why?
0: Uh, he chose you. You did not choose him. Can't remember where that is. John, I think, or Matthew, to do good works. Mm-hmm. You were chosen to do good works to glorify Him. James says, "Without works." Your faith is dead. Does that mean your works save you? Of course not.
2: But your salvation was to do works. But you it, were made to do something. There's a natural inclination towards good works that is given by God when He "Absolutely." Saved you. So there is that
0: in the Bible. Yeah. We know we will do good works because God put it into us to do those good works. We also know that our good works are as filthy rags
2: in front of Christ's righteousness, because they don't save us. That whole point is, you don't save us. So the so the Christian life looks like warfare, where we're fighting against our sinful desires, but yeah. desiring Christ. Romans seven, yeah. right? We're, we're really doing it, where it's still somehow all of Christ or God. You guys are reading this book at all? Which is yeah. what we're teaching. Uh, what is it? Uh,
0: the Bible, God's inherent work. I don't have that one. Too bad. Uh, I didn't really follow it for this chapter. But Sinclair Ferguson writes, uh, when we talk about the central message, because the dominant plot line of the whole Bible is what God accomplishes through his Son. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, from start to finish, these 66 books tell a single, multifaceted story whose central character is Jesus Christ and what he does. He is the one through whom all things are created, in whom all things hold together, and by whom God brings reconciliation. That's the story. The only thing he's not really showing is the life. Under reconciliation is how to live. The last thing I'll mention is our buddy Martin Luther. Um, you know he made beer, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he said, and the last point I'll make is, We've talked about God. We've talked about Jesus. We really didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, Nobody who has not the Spirit of God sees a jot of what is in the Scriptures. The Spirit is needed for the understanding of all Scripture and every part of Scripture. In other words, great, It's you can intellectually ascend to understand that book as much as you want, but without the power of the Holy Spirit object through our faith Jesus Christ is not revealed you cannot intellectually ascend to this knowledge and this information it has to come from God from the Holy Spirit changing your heart you're a dead person who was brought to life you cannot do that you can't do it simple as that it's done by the Trinity you are now saved that understanding of that book is only from the Holy Spirit there's a lot of smart people that reject the Bible
2: because it, they have not been influenced by the Holy Spirit. I think that's comforting if you're the one presenting the Word too, because like, there could be a, a despair sometimes in your heart if you're trying to learn the, the Bible and as a Christian and trying to tell it to others. Um, there could be a disparity in, to con- try and convince somebody. Yeah. And, and it doesn't mean that you shouldn't pose the arguments or, or teach or have discussions. But ultimately, even that, like, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And, I mean, it, it, there has to be a work of the Spirit in somebody's heart for them to be convinced yeah. of the Word. So I can, I can I must be diligent to, like, to learn the Bible and explain it the very best I can. And, the and, rely, day, and rely on it. But at the end of the day, I, 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 I'm relying on God to convince that person. Yeah. If to it was just faith.
0: about your power of persuasion based on what you read and what you memorized, mm-hmm. it's going to fail yeah. without the Holy Spirit. No question. Any thoughts? I enjoyed it. Class?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know where everybody teaching. You got Kevin and Devin today. <laughs> Dead. There you go. All definitely right, let's definitely. pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the central message of Scripture, that we can know who you are, the author and finisher of our salvation. We can understand your plan of redemption and the story from the beginning of history to the end of history is about your love for us and your plan to save us. And Father, we can also understand how to live. We can put away the things that or of earth, the things that are in our hearts, this seedy part of who we are. And we can focus on the things that are above, the things that are of Christ. And above all, Father, that we put on love and that we're thankful. And in Jesus Christ we pray, amen.